Ah, good evening, everybody. Uh, this week is Parsha Lech Lecha, and the beginning of the Parsha deals with Avraham uh, leaving his land, his homeland, going to Eretz Yisrael. And the beginning of the Parsha says that he took Sarah Ishto, his wife Sarah, with Lot ben Achiv, and Lot his nephew, veta nefesh asher subacharan, and the souls that they made in Acharan. So, what is the nefesh asher subacharan? So it says Rashi that these were all the converts that they made in, uh, in the land of, of Haran, and now they're bringing all the converts with them. Whatever happens to these converts is uh, another question. But uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to deal with uh, a question of conversion. So the topic this, um, this, uh, this evening is that of the insincere convert, which is an incredibly loaded topic, because I'm going to go on a limb here and say that the vast majority of converts that I've been in, that I've encountered um, are not completely Torah observant in any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a there's a um, there are those who are more connected than others. So I know stories of people who convert and then, for tens and purposes, live lives no too different to the before they were Jewish. And uh, there are others that uh, sort of convert into a traditional Judaism, which I'd say in Sydney is probably the, the, ma- the majority of converts that I've been involved with. Even those that um, at the time of their learning seem to be very serious. I mean, many of the times you can see that it's, it's really just a means to an end, that the, uh, the husband or the, the, the boy or girl refuses to marry them while they're not Jewish. They convert in order to allow the conversion to take place. But um, uh, even those that are quite serious, I know cases of uh, people who came on their own volition that they didn't actually get converted uh, for marriage, got converted for their own, and then uh, some point after the conversion sort of, you know, fall by the wayside. So, so this is a question we're going to deal with is the legitimacy of insincere converts, um, where we could look at this, if we look at the what's happening on the ground, we could look at it from a way saying either... Uh, Large parts, let's say, if we took to Sydney, uh, they're doing something wrong because all these converts are not completely committed. Or alternatively, we could say, no, it's, uh, it is okay, it's permissible, and uh, perhaps not desirable, but nevertheless permissible. So we're going to deal with uh, these questions. We're going to go through different commentaries and different opinions. And like um, much of what we talk about in the world of, uh, in the world of uh, halacha, it's not going to have such a clear-cut answer at the end of the day, there's going to be quite a bit of ambiguity, and uh, it is that ambiguity which is why we see what we see in the world. Okay, so let's start off. We're going to start off with the Rambam. So, I mean, firstly, it should know that there's no mitzvah to convert, not for a non-Jew to convert to Judaism, and no mitzvah for a Beitin to convert to anybody. In fact, the Talmud talks about the fact that converts are, by and large, not good for the Jewish people. Now, why they're not good is a question. Is it not good because they make the Jews look bad? I find this, uh, this was we see in, uh, in the story of Yonah, that Yonah was very hesitant to go preach to the non-Jewish world because it's that they're going to listen to me. I preach to the Jews that don't listen. I preach to the non-Jews, they, w- they will listen. So it's going to reflect very poorly upon the Jewish people. So similarly with conversion, is if here's someone who's not oblig- he's only obligated in seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach, and now they want to take on the 613, and the Jews who are obligated in 613, we can't even get them to keep them. So it reflects badly upon the Jews. But um, the, the Rambam quotes, uh, it says as follows. And so for all generations, when a non-Jew 
The word akum is a, an acronym for avodat kochavimu mazalot, which means people who worship stars and the constellations. So it means a pagan. So when anybody or Gentile in this context wants to convert, to enter into the covenant, and to take for refuge under the wings of the Divine Presence, and to accept upon themselves the yoke of Torah, they need uh, three things. One, to um, do a Brit Milah if it's a man, to go to the mikvah, and to bring a sacrifice. So this is obviously in temple times. So for, for a woman, obviously there's no Brit Milah, and she just has to bring a Korban and go to the mikvah. Now, this seems like there are just these three statements that you need. You need the, the Milah, the Brit Milah, the Tvila, and the Korban. But what the Rambam says over here, Yikabel alav all Torah, to accept upon himself the all, the yoke of Torah. Now, what does that mean? And this becomes a, a bit of a debate between uh, some of the great poskim of the last generation. Is what does it mean to accept upon yourself? Does accepting meaning that I acknowledge the binding nature of the Torah? Or does accept mean I accept the fact that I am committed to keep the entire Torah? And that is a, an incredibly complex debate. Because albeit that they sound quite similar... There's a big difference between acknowledging the concept of law, albeit that I might not follow it, I know I'm bound to it. So I can acknowledge the fact that there's a law to that one's not allowed to speed and still speed. And it doesn't mean I don't acknowledge the law. I just acknowledge that I'm going to be punished if I, don't, if I, if I, if I break it. Not uh, as opposed to saying I'm committed to keep the law, which is very different. Now, according to those opinions that say that is that you have to keep it. So if somebody comes and says, I want to convert to Judaism, then it's going to be a question. Are you going to keep the Torah? You're going to keep Torah? You're going to keep Shabbos? And if they say, no, I'm not going to keep it. Well, that's it. Nothing to talk about because you have to keep it. But if you say, do you understand that you will be bound by these mitzvot, by all 630 mitzvot, you'll be bound if you choose to agree. And they say, yes, I, I acknowledge that I will be bound by them. And then seemingly, even if they're not, not observant and they don't keep it, seemingly it wouldn't nullify the mitzvot, so they nullify the conversion. So you have those two perspectives which are, are very, very different and they really play into our question at hand. Is that one thing that you cannot have, and we're not going to talk about this at too much length, is that if a person refuses to even acknowledge that, so then there's nothing to talk about. So the Gemara comes and says that if a person says, I will convert to Judaism but I, and I'll accept 612 of the mitzvahs, but there's one mitzvah I refuse to accept. So then the halacha is, well, then, you, then the conversion's no good. So back to the drawing board, we won't accept you. So even though, and even if the person prepared to give, it says, I will keep every single mitzvah in the Torah and I committed to all 612 of them. But the one mitzvah that I'm not committed to, let's just say it's some uh, obscure mitzvah, uh, that even though I'm not an agriculturalist, I refuse to commit to the mitzvah of not planting uh, two different grains in the same area. So, this conversion is no good. So, we've got, so if a person rejects it, so that's, that's no good. So, what the person has to say is that I'm committed. So, if you're teaching a couple and the bait in sees a couple and the, and the person, the, the candidate to, for conversion says, um, yes, I accept 
all the mitzvot and I am bound in them. So according to some opinions, that is sufficient even though they don't intend to keep them. The problem with that, and this takes us into a bit of a philosophical more than halachic question. And that is, well, if they, why would somebody want to commit to a system that they're going to fail in? So for example, let's just say the tax rate in Australia is uh, 30% for, for uh, certain workers. Now, you can voluntarily if you want. You don't have to, but if you want, you can take on and uh, take on a 40% tax rate. So the guy comes and says, I want to take on the 40% tax rate. He says, you want to take on a biggest tax burden? He says, yes, I do. He says, okay, not a problem. But you do realize that once you accept upon yourself that tax burden, if you don't live up to it, we're going to fine you. And the guy says, yep, I want to be in the 40% tax burden. And then they take it on and now they don't, they don't pay their 40% tax. And so now they're getting fined or going to jail for something that they didn't have to do in the first place. So the halacha comes and says, hold on a second here. Why on earth would we as a Beitin convert somebody if from the outset all we're doing is making their life harder? So yes, it's beautiful that they want to do all these mitzvot. It's fantastic. The problem is that we are what we call mechaev in them. We are, we are making their life spiritually more dangerous than it was beforehand. Now if the person doesn't eat kosher, hate, no problem whatsoever. But they convert. Now they eat non-kosher. It's a terrible avera. So why would we do that to them? So perhaps you could say, well, if they want to do it, listen, if you want to take on a 40% tax, tax rate and not pay it and then get the fine, so listen, uh, it sounds crazy, but if that's what you do, want to do, then do it. The problem is that we have a mitzvah in the Torah called Lifnei Iver Lotesim Michshol. One may not place a stumbling block in front of the blind. So we go and see the next source. This is Shut Minchat Shlomo. This is Rav Shlomo Zalman Orobach, and he is he deals with this particular question. And I'll I'll just uh, I'll read the the English just to make life a little bit easier. And he talks about these converts that come. He says regarding class of converts, whom regarding whom we are almost certain that they are not committed at all to fully observe the mitzvot of Hashem. In such a situation, in my humble opinion, anyone facilitates such a conversion. Even if they think that they are fully full-edged converts, nonetheless, even according to their approach, those who convert them violate the prohibition of Lif Naiver. Meaning, so I've got a young couple that come to me and she wants to convert and, and she's very keen and she does all the study and I know they're not going to keep mitzvot. And I say, you know what, they convert and we, they go to the mikvah and everything great and everybody's happy and the family is so appreciative and everyone's happy. But all I've done is made this, you know, short-term Fantastic, she's happy and she can be married and they can send their kids to whatever school. But when they get to Shemaim, this girl, this girl or this convert is going to have a terrible debt of avarus that they're going to have to pay for. And the reason they did is because I facilitated it. I placed the stumbling block in front of the blind. So according to Rav Shlomo Zavon Orabach, you, 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 I, as the, as the head of the bait team, am doing a terrible thing. Because I'm not helping this couple off. Now, one of the interesting things that we, we, we don't appreciate this. Because, you know, if we, if we talk about tough love in the, in, the, in, the, let's say, in the world of family dynamics. So tough love means if, I, if you really love your children, sometimes you don't give them what they want. And they'll hate you because of it. But really you're doing it because it's in their best interests. That's what tough love is. So the bait din does something very similar. So when a, a, convert, a, a potential con- candidate comes to the uh, bait din, 
And the Beitian says, we're not going to convert you. The way that it's perceived is, are they so strict? They're so stubborn. They're so intolerant. They're so the like. And the reality is, it's the complete opposite. Is the reason we're not going to convert you is because we actually care about you. We care that this doesn't do damage to your neshama. If we convert you, we're going to make your life, yeah, you'll be socially, so you'll be accepted at shul. And your in-laws will be so happy. Why? Because they can save face in the community. But we are doing you such a detriment by converting you. So we cannot convert you. That is the motivation of the, uh, of the baiting. At least that's what the motivation, according to Hashem Zaman, should be. Is we will not do this even though uh, we want to help you. So, before we continue, let's just talk a little bit about the, the, the concept of conversion. Because one of the, the, I suppose, one of the questions that arise around conversions, when someone wants to convert, the first question that we ask him is, why do you want to convert? And that is a very complex question. Because the very seldom is the answer, at least within a, definitely from a from a marriage point of view, very seldom is the answer that I want to be Jewish. And what it means to be Jewish is I want to build a relationship with Hashem that I cannot build um, as a non-Jew. That is, I dare I say, is almost unheard of in the world of conversions for marriage. It, it does happen when people convert on their own. Uh, on their own volition, but never when people are converting for marriage. They might say they want to be part of the Jewish people. They might say they want to be part of the Jewish community. They might say they love being Jewish, but they don't want to build a relationship with Hashem. And so the question is, is that, is that a sufficient reason to convert someone? Conversions in Judaism is not, um, is not so much the idea of being, just being part of the social connection. It's being part of the people. And that's what the mitzvot are. Being Jewish is doing mitzvot. The fact that many Jews don't, you know, don't do any mitzvot or don't do that many mitzvot, well, they're really part of the tribe. But to become part of the tribe, surely there's a certain element that the goal is to be part of the whole faith community, not just part of the social community. So that question is a difficult question because if we look at the world we're living in today, and we will deal with this in, uh, in detail shortly, um, the world we live in is the vast majority of potential converts are boys or girls who have met non-Jewish spouses and they almost have, uh, in a, dare I say, in a best case scenario, they say, we will not marry you as long as you are not Jewish. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is, uh, worst case scenario is they don't care and they'll marry them without a conversion. And the middle case is, I'd really like you to convert if you refuse or we can't do it, so be it. So we'll, we won't convert or we'll convert non-Orthodox. But um, the best case scenario is that uh, I, I want you to convert. If you don't convert, um, uh, we're not going to get married. And that creates a huge dilemma within the individual because they might not want to convert, but we are pushing them down that road because what they really want is to be accepted. And is that a good reason to convert? So let's, let's go through now that specific question. So we've dealt with the, the earlier ones. Here we're talking, now we're going to start talking about ulterior motives. So they accept, they, at this point in time, what we're dealing with are people who've come and they say, I want to be Jewish. I accept all the mitzvahs. And let's just say for argument's sake, they say, and I'm going to keep the mitzvahs. But we doubt the sincerity or we are pretty, uh, pretty certain that they're not sincere. So where do we say, and or, 
they kept, you know, they came to the Beit Din, they, they went through the whole course, they kept Shabbat, and they did it for the 18 months that they had to, and the day after going to the Mikvah, they went to have a Chaza to celebrate. So what about that? Is that a no-good conversion? All right, so this is a Gemara in the Masechet Yevamot, and it says as follows. I'm, uh, let me just scroll this up a little bit. Um, so, Echad Ish, so, so I'm just, Echad Ish, Shinitkaya Lashumisha, a man who converts for a woman, Vechad Isha Shinitgaya Lashumish, or a woman who converts for a man, Vechain, Mishinitgaya Lashum Shulchan Melachim, or someone who converts in order to uh, gain in prosperity, Lashum Avdei Shlomo, or to become a servant of, the, of King Solomon, Enogarim, they, they, their conversion is no good. Divrei Rebbe Nechemia. So Rebbe Nechemia says their conversion is no good. Shaya Rebbe Nechemia Omer. Rebbe Nechemia used to say, Echad Gere Arayot. So conversions of lions. So this was a story that takes place around the destruction of the first temple. When uh, the Jews were exiled, Nebuchadnezzar, the Persian king, brought many uh, non-Jews uh, from around the world to come live in Israel for the displaced Jews. And lions came into the land and uh, were decimating the populations of the people living there. And they sought out what to do. And they said, well, because you're living in the land of Israel, you've got to follow the laws of Israel. So they brought a few Jews back to sort of teach the people. And people converted because they were scared of being killed by lions. So that's the way the story is told in the second chapter, the second book of Kings. So that's Gary Ariot. We had Gary Chalomot, so uh, converts of dreams. I'm not sure what that is. Gary Mordechai Esther. So if you see at the end of Megillat Esther, we read the fact that, that uh, people were mityahadim. They were becoming Jewish because uh, the fear of Mordechai had fallen upon them. So these are not gerim. They are, the conversions are not good. Achit garu Okay. So you can't convert. So anybody who's converting for either out of fear, out of love, or out of... Uh, out of um, for a thing of prosperity. So a person wants to convert. Why? Because life will be better for them. So let's just say a person wants to convert so they can make aliyah. So that's, uh, that's no good conversion. Okay? So all of these are no good. The Gemara continues. It says, But how do we paskin? We paskin and say, No. Yes, if they come and they tell you that's what they're doing, so it's no good. But... If they happen to convert, and then post facto, we find out that this was their motives, so post facto, the conversion is good. So seemingly from the Gomorrah, that if someone comes and converts, and their motives seem sincere, and it turns out that they're not, so we do not backdate their conversion. We are happy to accept them as is, and we say that it's good. And this is how it comes into the uh, Shulchan Aruch. So the Shulchan Aruch says as follows. Um... Sorry, just my screen's a little stuck here. Yeah? So when a convert a candidate comes to convert, maybe we have to check that maybe he's gonna get some money, it's gonna be financially beneficial for him, or he gets some leadership, or he's scared. That's the reason he's converting. 
And if it's a man who's converting, maybe we have to check that he hasn't, you know, laid his ass upon a Jewish woman. Maybe she fancies some guy. And if it, we can't find anything that uh, disqualifies them, we explain to them the weight of the of the yoke of Torah. But Torah and how difficult it is to be a Jew in the nations of the world, in order that they will reconsider. And if they say, nah, even though I'm aware of all those, I still want to convert. And we see that they truthfully want to convert from love. We accept them. However, if we didn't check after them, or we didn't tell them, all the rewards and punishments of the mitzvahs. And we, we circumcised them and we did a brit for them in front of three head your tot, three kosher Jews, albeit not a proper baiting, but three kosher Jews. It's still a good conversion. Even if they say that it turns out that they were converting for ulterior motives. Since they did it all, they are no longer Gentiles and we consider their conversion good. So here you have the case where people, you know, they're converting. It turns out that it was a sham. Nevertheless, according to the Shulchan Aruch, the conversion is still a good conversion. So problem that we have now, if we now bring it to our, our, our modern day case is, well, what happens if we know it's a sham? That's fine if they if they if we ask them and they know all the right answers. So they get coached. When the rabbi asks you if you're going to keep the Torah mitzvahs, you say yes, you are. And he says, are you going to do this? Then yes, you are. The fact that you're not and you're lying, that's don't worry about that. As long as you are, you know, you do it. So halachically, that works. Now, problem is that what this this whole this whole system becomes a complete sham. That nothing seems to, uh, you know, how do, how do we even take this whole process seriously? Now, the, the Beit Yosef, so the Beit Yosef is Rav Yosef Karo. And he, um, he wrote a, a commentary before the Shulchan Aruch called the Beit Yosef. And he asks the following question. Now, there's a famous Gemara. And this is a Gemara that, dare I say, that uh, almost everybody knows. And that is the stories of the converts that come, the potential converts that come to Hillel and Shammai. So the first convert says to Hillel, convert me, he goes to Shammai and says, convert me, unconditionally can teach me the entire Torah standing on one leg. And Shammai says, get lost. Hillel says, okay, what you hate, don't do to your fellow, the rest is commentary. So that one we're all familiar with. The next one comes and says, convert me on condition that, that, sorry, uh, convert me on condition that I can be the Kohen Gadol. Now, the problem is that the person can't be a Kohen Gadol because you convert, you can't become a Kohen either. So isn't this person uh, converting for ulterior motives? And yet what happens? Hillel converts him. The second, the third case is a guy says, uh, how many Torahs do you have? So Hillel says, we've got two Torahs. We've got the Torah, the written Torah and the oral tradition. So the convert says, uh, convert me on condition that only, I'm only going to do the uh, written Torah, I'm not going to do the oral tradition. So he converts it. Now, in, in both cases, the story sort of ends that, um, so with the, with, the, um, with the one who wants to be the Kohen Gadol. So 
he, one day they're learning Torah and Hilo quotes a verse it says Hazar uh, Yukrav Yumat that a stranger who, be, who does the work of the Kohanim should be put to death and the convert says who does this refer to so Hilo says even David Melech Israel. so then the convert says oh I guess I can't be the Kohen Gadol but how could Hilo accept him into the program was the question so this is the question that the Beit Yosef asks and he says as follows he says um so it says, so I don't understand. If we say, if you've got the wrong motives, you can't convert him. Here comes the guy to Hilo and says, convert me on condition that I can be the Kohen Gadol. So it says, Hilo knew that even though his motives, his ulterior motives were impure now, but Hilo knew come time with the passage of time, he will come right. And, and he will, so yes, we know that this, this couple that are converting now, um, they're not completely sincere. But we are convinced that they will be sincere. Give them some time and it will all come right. That's the way it says. And it says the Beit Yosef, it says, um, uh, And therefore, everything has to be done according to the way that the Beitin sees. The Beitin looks at it and says, is this a couple that we think we can work with? Yeah, they're not, they're not completely committed now, but they, they, very, they sound reasonably sincere that they want to be part of the Jewish community. And we know that what happens when they, when they convert and then they'll get involved and then they'll get chapped and they'll start coming to programs and functions and shiurim and, you know, in time, so it might not be tomorrow, but over time, these people will become a lot more connected. And then kids will come and they want to send them to Jewish day school. It's all going to work out for the best. That is the way the Beit Yosef says it. So sounding like they we're in good ground. The problem is, and this is something that we don't often appreciate, is that everything we've read up until now has talked about conversions during a particular era of Jewish history. And that was that the standard... Uh, the standard Jew was an observant Jew. He kept Shabbat, he kept kosher, he was an observant. So if someone wanted to convert to Judaism, they would be part of that community. They would go to shul because everybody went to shul. They keep kosher because everyone kept kosher and everyone kept Shabbat. So the idea of converting for ulterior motives, even if there was a certain short time that we say, oh, they're not completely sincere, Reality is, come tomorrow morning, they're going, to, they're going to be doing what everybody else is doing. They're all going to be keeping Shabbat because the entire community keeps Shabbat. But that was back then. Nowadays, that's not the case at all. When somebody converts to Judaism, it's not that they don't have their pure motives, it's that they're not going to keep mitzvot at all. So this is a question that's dealt with with the Dvar Abraham. This is the Kovner Rav. So we are talking of um, at the end of the, the beginning of the 20th century. So it's not that long ago. Um, I don't have a translation for this. But in essence, he say, he, what he wants to say is that, uh, I will paraphrase it, that you can't compare um, an, in, an, an insincere convert from the times of the Gomorrah, the times of the Shulchan Aruch, to modernity. Modernity, when a person, they're not going to move over time. What's going to happen? This person's going to convert and then we'll never see them again. And uh, dare I say that that's, that has been my experience largely, is that people convert and a significant percentage of them you hardly see. And it's not, they, it's not even that they are become traditional, they become some of the less committed people within the community. Now it's not, again, it's not all the cases, but it's, it's enough to make it a, a legitimate concern. 
that uh, that the world we live in today is one that cannot be rationally justified that that that's the case that people um, are converted. Okay, so so I just I just want to move it to a little bit of a, a head and, and just quote a couple of uh, modern day uh, poskim. So there are two ways of really that the, the poskim seem to deal with this question nowadays. One is uh, you know with an iron fist, which is something that is happening in Israel to a large degree, and it's becoming quite controversial in Israel. And that is that, listen, if you want to be part of the Jewish people, great, we welcome you. But that means committing and being part of, you know, the entire Jewish experience. And if you don't want to do that, it's fine. You don't have to convert. But we're not going to convert you into traditional Judaism or to into secular Judaism. That we're not prepared to do. And that is, um, in Israel, is becoming a lot more popular. And I would say, in a large part of the world, that is definitely the ideal. What you have, on the other hand, is groups of uh, Rabbanim who feel that the crisis that is happening in the community necessitates a different approach. And that is one that is a little bit more flexible. Now, how do they justify that approach? So they justify it uh, in, in much of the ways that we've seen, that uh, we ask them, um, you know, are you sincere? Why are you doing this? And the fact that we know we've been lied to, um, we sort of uh, turn a blind eye to it. Because until they've explicitly said that they reject the Torah or they reject the mitzvahs, we have to take them at face value. The fact that uh, now someone comes in court and their facial expression suggests that they're lying, but their testimony is legitimate. So we, we cannot challenge the testimony. All we can do is what, what they say, and it is not for us to do it. Ah, but we are causing them to uh, place stumbling blocks in front of them. We're making their lives spiritually more dangerous. Okay, uh, that we, we, we acknowledge that, and they acknowledge that, and we're hoping that ultimately um, we'll be able to do something that will, um, that will bring them a bit closer. Um, I just want to do, there's one last part here that I wanted to quote, and this is from Rav Moshe Feinstein, and how he dealt with it. I um, just want to find, so it says that, okay, um, so he, he does what we call is a, a limutschut, so he's not a fan of these uh, these bate dinim around the world. They convert people who are not going to commit. But he says as follows. I'm just going to paraphrase it here. Um, then in today's circumstances, most Jews do not observe the Torah. Many converts perceive non-observance of halacha to constitute mainstream Jewish practice. So what you have is that most converts into Judaism say what is legitimate what is legitimate Judaism it is traditional Judaism so even though they're wrong that perception does have some weight in halacha for example uh, we, we have a concept in halacha called a tinok shenishba a person who is raised in a non-observant non environment they are not held completely accountable for being non-observant because this is the way they're raised they, are no, they know no better so the Rambam explains this. This is like a Jew that was raised amongst Gentiles. So if a Jewish child was uh, was was orphaned and adopted by a non-Jewish family, will this Jewish child, as they grow up, be punished for the fact that they didn't keep Shabbat and keep uh, Shabbat, uh, kashrut and the like? So the answer is no. Obviously not. Why? Because they didn't know any better. They, this is how they were raised. So it says, what what's any difference? So what's the difference between a Jew who's raised in an environment where they don't keep kosher and they don't keep Shabbat, even though they're Jewish? So similarly, they're not held accountable. So here the non-Jews come in to convert them. And they say, oh, will you con do you accept all the Torah and mitzvahs? They say, of course I do. Just like my fiancé does. And But what's the fiancé? The fiancé does, you know, whatever the fiancé does. 
And he says, so therefore we can say that they're not insincere. They're very sincere. They're just wrong. But is that a reason not to convert them? So he wants to say, again, is what you call limut schot. He wants to judge favorably. So, so perhaps you could say that you know, that's legitimate. Definitely, ideally, it's not the case. And there's no question that a, a legitimate convert, according to everyone, is somebody who wants to be Jewish. Um, one of the interesting things, and I, I had this conversation with a colleague of mine in America, to say that uh, it appears that the most successful converts are usually those who convert for marriage. Um, and what does that mean? Is that converts often find it very difficult to, um, to settle within the Jewish community. That there's a certain culture that uh, converts don't always find themselves accepted um, and, and, it, and it's quite difficult. But people who convert for marriage because they have a Jewish spouse, it usually makes the transition into the community much easier and the uh, element of being a convert is much less of an issue. Um, so the irony is that the best converts as far as those who are fully able to absorb or be absorbed in the community are often those who are converting for ulterior motives. That being said is that to convert as a, for any, any reason, whether it be altruistic or ulterior, is an incredible commitment. And it comes with it enormous responsibilities. So um, I hope that sort of uh, opened up the topic. So what do we do practically? So you, you see what we do practically. We do our best and we try to educate people as much as we can. We try to inspire them about Judaism, but we are very uh, aware of our limitations. Um, and there are always going to be limits. So uh, perhaps on, a, on, a, on another time we can talk to all the politics about it and the difference between an orthodox conversion and a, and a non-orthodox conversion. But broadly speaking, I think it, we've covered quite a lot of ground this evening. hope it's all been uh, understandable. And to that end, I'll open up. If anyone has any questions I'd like to ask, I now invite you to do so. Just unmute yourselves and...